Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. We, uh, last week also kind of started um, a recentering, a reorienting around this specific mission and vision that God has given us as a church. And that vision, hopefully you all know by now, is the reconciliation of all things, meaning this is the unique thing that we believe God has called Antioch to give ourselves to um, in this season of our story as a church. And so uh, the idea, this phrase, reconciliation, rather comes from the passage Steve read for us in Colossians chapter one, 9, or <laughs> chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So one of our convictions is that the gospel of Jesus, the good news about who Christ is and what he is doing to save us and to save the world, um, it, c- it can be summed up with this phrase, reconciling all things to himself. And so uh, last time I did this, I, for those of you that are more analytically or math- mathematically minded, I created this little graph to help you kind of quantify what this looks like. Um, all things, 100% of what God has created, he's still committed to, and he's still on this mission in Christ and through his spirit to redeem, to reconcile, and to restore, and to make all things new. Now, we understand that this vision is a little bit overwhelming, and by definition, the nature of all things uh, is a little bit exhausting to think about. Um, And I would argue that that is exactly the point It's the point that Paul's trying to make. It is the point of this vision and mission and that it is something that you and I and our church cannot accomplish. Now, it may seem like silliness to have a vision statement that we know is impossible for us to accomplish. But that's the point of our identity as the church of Jesus, as the body of Christ, as the family of God. Our vision isn't what we can accomplish, but it's rooted in who Jesus is and what he can and will accomplish in the world. So Jesus alone is the one who is able and willing to make all things new. And we want a vision statement out as a church that is about what he is doing and what he is able to do, not what we are doing and what we are able to do. The invitation, therefore, is to participation. I want you to hear that phrase several times this morning. The invitation is participation. We aren't the ones that carry this load or carry this burden that I have to reconcile and fix the world and change the world and all things. That's what Christ is up to, but our invitation is to be part of it. There's a documentary that came out last year, I think, on Wendell Berry, and there's this interesting conversation where he says this. He says, we live in an age of divorce. Things that belong together have been taken apart. You can't put it all back together again. What you can do, the only thing you can do, is take two things that ought to be together and you put them together. Two things, not all things. 
Here's what I love about what Barry's describing here. Of course, if you know his work, he's describing the relationship between the earth and humanity. And he uses this metaphor of divorce or marriage to talk about the brokenness of that relationship that humans have with the rest, the non-human parts of creation. But it extends to everything that we're talking about. The opposite of reconciliation, I would argue, could be understood best through the idea of divorce. Reconciliation is necessary when two things that belong together are pulled apart. And so this gospel that Paul proclaims, this gospel that Jesus embodies, is a gospel uh, that is taking things that belong together and bringing them back together. And Barry's resonating with us and going, if our job's to reconcile all things, that's a little overwhelming. But what is it that we have in front of us? If the invitation is participation, what are the two things that we have in front of us today that God is inviting us to participate in his ministry of reconciliation? And so this is why we've taken this idea of all things and tried to unpack it. And the way we've done it is in six key relationships. Again, think about reconciliation as the opposite of divorce. These six relationships of God, self, church, city, world, and creation. Because of the presence of sin within us and within the world, all of these relationships have been broken apart, have been damaged in one way or another. The relationship that we have with God, the relationship we each have with ourselves, the relationship we have with other people within the church, within our city, and across the world, and the relationship we have with the rest of creation. All of these relationships have been damaged or divorced in one way or another. And the good news is that what Jesus is up to is making peace through his blood shed on the cross, making reconciliation, bringing things that belong together back together. Now, we can't all do all of this. So my encouragement is to listen to Barry this morning and say, what are the two things? What is the, what is the spirit calling me to? How is he calling me to participate in this vision and mission of reconciliation? So we've taken the idea that each of these relationships is a place that God wants to bring restoration, healing, and peace. And therefore, the nature of our participation could be summed up with the idea of practice. Of practice. What does it look like to us, for us to participate in Jesus' mission? And uh, we've <clears throat> kind of summarized the idea of practice this way. You have that next slide, Gretchen, not this one, the one after that. Um, practices. As we seek to follow Jesus and join his mission of reconciliation, we are devoted to a set of biblical practices that turn our lives both towards the grace of God and towards the world he loves. So here's what we're going to talk about this morning. As it relates to being part of a church that has a specific mission and vision, the invitation is to participation. Um, for each one of us, wherever we are in our life narrative, wherever we are in our faith journey, wherever we are in our story, we believe that there's a next step or a next invitation that God is calling us towards. And it's, uh, it can be summarized by this idea that there are things we're invited to do. There are practices we are invited to participate in that are designed to, look at that last line again, both turn our hearts towards the grace of God and towards the world he loves.
They are to contribute to our own formation and discipleship as followers of Jesus, as well as be an opportunity for us to partner with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the work that they are doing in the world, both towards the grace of God and towards the world that he loves. And so um, before we get into our six practices, I want to take a moment and wrestle with this, because I know for many of us, this is a big shift in the way we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, And I I think I've talked about it this way before, but but come with me for a moment and just think about it this way. Sometimes uh, we hear people in our our world describe themselves as a non-practicing Jew or a non-practicing Catholic or a non-practicing Muslim, meaning they identify with the culture and the traditions and the symbolism of a particular faith, but that faith, honestly, they would say, doesn't have much to do with how they live their daily lives. So um, if that were the case, you could spend a week living in the home of a non-practicing Jew or Muslim or, or Catholic, and you wouldn't really observe anything in their daily lives or rhythms that would indicate the faith tradition that they claim. Right? They're non-practicing. I once heard a Jewish comedian say, I'm not really Jewish, I'm just kind of Jew-ish. Right? It's the same idea. On the other hand, um, for somebody to describe themselves as a practicing Muslim or Jew or Catholic or whatever, it would mean that their faith isn't just about a, a set of doctrines that they adhere to or even an, a moral code that they ascribe to. It would actually be that their faith is expressed in a way of life that the way that they order their life and rhythms that would include things like prayer and worship and oftentimes diet and meditation and charity and generosity and all that kind of stuff, to be a practicing adherent to one of those faiths or worldviews would be something that would show up in the daily lives of these people. So much so that if you were to spend a week staying in their home and observing their life, you would see them orienting their life around a set of faith practices. And it would be clear to you that their faith or their religion isn't just some sort of casual cultural affiliation, like being a member of like a fan club or something like that, but it's actually something that shapes their identity and every part of their life. Now here's what's interesting. As Protestant Christians, and specifically many of us part of the evangelical uh, tradition, We don't really have a functional set of categories for what it looks like to be a practicing or non-practicing follower of Jesus. We don't really have that distinction, do we? If we did, at the very least, we would say it's semi-regular church attendance. That like once or twice a month, I probably go to church on a Sunday, and that's how it shows up. Now, there are some things where we'd say, well, we don't do that. We avoid this, right? We don't smoke and chew, and we don't kiss girls that do. So that's how we practice our faith. But we kind of don't really have that category. We know what it is to be a professing Christian, somebody that holds the, the historic Christian doctrines of the faith to profess faith in Christ. We know what it is to be a professing Christian, but what does it look like to be a practicing Christian? In other words, if someone were to stay with us in our home for a week and observe our lives, 
other than occasional church attendance, would there be anything about our daily lives that would reveal to them that our Christianity isn't just an, a cultural affiliation, but is actually central to our identity and to every part of our lives. Or in other words, if following Jesus were a crime, would they have sufficient evidence to convict us? Now here's what's interesting. The pushback might be, well, yeah, of course all these other religions have this set of practices or rules or commandments that they keep because their entire religion is based on good works. Their entire religion is based on doing all these things and keeping all these rules and committing to all these practices in order to gain right standing with God. And we know that the gospel of Jesus, that the Christian gospel, isn't one about good works, that it's one of grace. That we don't earn our way to God or earn right standing or earn salvation by good works. It's something we receive as a gift by faith. Now, is that true? Of course it is. But all of a sudden, then, we have to wrestle with this reality that the invitation of the gospel is something that is received by grace through faith, but that invitation is to a new life. It is to a new reality. It is to a new identity, a new set of values and a new vision, a new pledge of allegiance to Christ and to his kingdom above all else. And so the fact that we have a grace-based salvation, I would say, I would argue, shouldn't mean there should be no discernible evidence of our faith in our lives, but just the opposite. That those who have received incredible grace from God, wouldn't we want to then be the ones in gratitude and in joy that offer all of our lives back to him in worship and in faithful obedience? Think about this really um, famous quote of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. One of my favorite scriptures. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So again, we're asking, what is the invitation of the gospel? And this invitation is clearly one where Jesus offers his self, his life, his grace, his love to us. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this passage in the message. He says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep it up for a moment. I want to just make a couple observations. On one hand, this gospel of grace, this invitation of Jesus is absolutely and utterly unique amongst all faiths and worldviews and religions out there. That there is an invitation extended to us not to try to earn and work and save ourselves through good works, 
but to come to Jesus as those who are burnt out on trying, burnt out on religion, burnt out on human effort, and instead find everything that our souls long for. So yes, on one hand, the Christian gospel is completely unique. But on the other hand, notice something. Go to the next slide. How many verbs are in this passage? Come, get, recover, take, walk, work, watch, learn, keep, learn, live. There's something more nuanced, more nuanced, more interesting going on here than what many of us would see at a first reading. That the invitation of the gospel, the invitation of Jesus, isn't, hey, he forgives all our sins, he gives us grace, so just kind of cruise and hang out until you die. It's an invitation to participation. It's a grace-based invitation to come and to share life with him, to be uh, active in our own formation, active in his work and his ministry and his mission in the world. The invitation to find rest, to find life, to find freedom from oppressive religion is not just like, hey, let's take a nap. It's apply yourself to learning the ways of your rabbi, of devoting yourself to joining yourself to him and to his mission in the world. And so it's a little bit of a disorienting idea for many of us that have this tension between faith and works, that either we believe in human works or we believe in the grace of God. And what we need to know is that the invitation is to participation. And so this is why we, according to this vision and mission, have articulated a set of six practices. And if you don't like the word practice, I love Peterson's unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace, ways of being, ways of living, ways of, of, of operating in the world that aren't trying to earn grace, the grace of God, but are a response to it and a response to this invitation. And so we have a set, set of six biblical practices that correspond to each of these relationships um, that summarize our idea of all things. I know this is a lot. The relationship of God between humans and God, we use the language of the, the practice of communion, of being one with God, walking closely with him, being named by Jesus and abiding in him. When it comes to ourselves, the relationships we have each with ourselves, it's formation. When it comes to the church, one another in the body of Christ, it's the practice of community. When it comes to the city and kind of the region we inhabit as central Oregonians, it's the practice of hospitality. When it comes to the world, kind of the people around the country and, and across the world, it's this practice of justice. And when it comes to creation, the non-human elements of God's world, it's the practice of Sabbath. Let me walk through these really quickly. But here's, here's what I want to do. I don't want this just to be like some sort of lecture where you're trying to take notes and remember all the practices and feel like, oh, shoot, I've only done three of these. I don't do the other three or something like that. We'll pause for a moment. And I want you to listen for the invitation of the Spirit. And particularly as we kind of launch into a new school year, a new season where in many ways one season's ending and another's beginning. What is the invitation of Jesus? Where is he inviting you to participate in his life, 
and in his ministry. And as we walk through these, don't do this as a checklist or something like that, but simply as a way to listen and to discern how, how Jesus might be calling you to follow him in practice in this next season. So this practice of communion, recognizing that we were once sinners, alienated from God, strangers of God, but by the grace of Jesus, we have been brought near to him. We've been united with his son. And so when we ask the question, I know God loves me, but does God actually like me? We answer that question with the question, does God actually like Jesus? And however God feels about Jesus is how he feels about you. Because you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And you are now invited to be participants in the relationship that has eternally existed between the Father and the Son, mediated by the Spirit. People who are known and named by our loving Father. This is the practice, the way of living, the unforced rhythm of grace that we call communion. As those called to reconciliation with God were moved from distraction to presence through the practice of abiding in Christ. And so each of these practices is really a category or a drawer that you can open and you find a bunch of different unique expressions within it. When we talk about practicing communion, on one hand, we can talk about receiving the Lord's table, which we do here uh, every week. It also looks like, or may be expressed through a practice of personal scripture, personal prayer, maybe uh, practices as, uh, such as fasting or solitude or silence or worship, whatever it is that you want would create space in your life in order to be united with Christ and to live in, into that identity, to enjoy relationship with God. It's the practice of communion. Next is the practice of formation. This is a new and interesting one to many of us, but we have to remember that the biblical uh, view of anthropology, the biblical understanding of what it means to be human, is that we are in a relationship with ourselves. If you think about many of the Psalms that say, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Who is the psalmist writing to? He's writing to himself, O my soul. He's talking to himself, relating to himself. And we find this throughout the scriptures, that each one of us has a relationship with ourself, and that relationship, just like any other relationship in our lives, can be broken and unhealthy and damaged. And it's one of the key relationships that Jesus wants to restore and reconcile. And so we use the word formation to describe being reconciled to ourselves. We are moved from ignorance to awareness through the practice of becoming who we are of living into the God-given identity that we've already been given as those who are in Christ and filled by his spirit. And so the practice of formation or seeking healing or restoration of our self-relationship can take many different forms as well. It's a big part of what I'm doing in this journey of solitude and silence, to go away, to sit with God, to sit with myself, to seek healing and recovery. Many of us, it's giving ourselves to the practice of liturgy, meaning we don't see prayer simply as a means of self-expression. We see it as a way to be formed into the image of Christ. 
that we understand that how we pray shapes what we believe, which shapes how we live. And so part of formation is giving ourselves to the practice of the church calendar, the practice of liturgical prayer, both corporately or familially or also on our own. But other times, this practice of formation looks like seeking help. It looks like doing the hard work and taking the courageous step of coming uh, to grips with the fact that this was a broken and damaged relationship and I could use some help putting it back together. It looks like finding a spiritual director or a counselor or a therapist or something like that and saying, Will, <clears throat> what would it look like to take a season and invite God to bring restoration to this broken relationship. So it's the practice of formation. Thirdly is the practice of community. This has to do with the idea that church is by definition a family. It's a plurality, that it's not a place that we go, but Christ is wanting to unite us to one another. That Christ is wanting us to be as close to each other as he is to the Father and to the Spirit that we would be one as he is one. And so we embrace this idea that church is not a place we go, but it is something that we are. It is a community or family that we belong to. And the truth is about family, none of us get to choose the family we're born into, right? If you got to choose your own family, you'd probably choose differently, wouldn't you? Your family isn't something you choose, it's chosen for you. And that's just as true of the family of God. You can choose which church you're going to attend, but you don't get to choose who else is going to attend it. And so this is why we've always said that we don't have true community until there's someone there who you wish wasn't. Until then, you're just a click. And that's not that impressive. <laughs> the church is the place where we learn to love and to share life deeply with people we didn't choose. Where people who would never get along in the wild become brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so as those called to reconciliation within the church, we are moved from convenience to commitment through the practice of sharing life as a family, that we're committed to one another, that we don't just show up and engage one another um, when it's convenient or when it fits into our already full lives. But the people in this room, the people in this family, become those to whom you're committed, and those they get to shape and, um, and speak into your relationship with Christ, so much so that we begin to talk about ourselves in the plural. That here's what we sense God doing among us. Here's what we sense God is saying to us. It moves something like this. By the way, we do this greeting time every week, and half of you hate it. I'm part of that half, and it was my idea. I'm the most introverted person in the room, I guarantee that. And half the time, I just leave. And this is my job. Like, I get paid to be here and talk to you guys, and I still can't do it. I still, it's the perfect time to go to the bathroom. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. Some people have left the church because we started doing this greeting time. And I get it. I am so sensitive and aware to the fact of the anxiety that that can create for some of us. Um, and at the same time, we're committed to continuing to challenge the nature of this gathering to where other people in the room aren't just kind of an unfortunate, <laughs> you know, inconvenience, 
Like, shoot, there's other people at church today, too. Like, this is why we come together. This is why we come together. So the metaphor we use when we talk about this is a staff. And when you guys write on your comments, I love this church, but I hate the greeting time. Um, we hear you. And we also say greeting time is leg day. It's leg day, right? If you've ever been part of a workout plan, a weightlifting routine, nobody wants to do leg day, right? And you end up oddly shaped and out of balance when you pay attention to one part of your figure and not another like I do. So the other... <laughs> it's leg day. There will be parts of this journey that are uncomfortable. There will be parts that stretch you, and we're okay with that, all right? Now... Out of our grace, we did cut it from five minutes to three. I don't know if you noticed that. And if you didn't, that's a good thing. We may even go two and a half. I don't know. But you realize that these, when we come here, we're not just here to get kind of itches scratched or whatever, needs met even, but we're here to be stretched. We're here to be formed. We're here to be discipled by Jesus which would call us into unpleasant and unfamiliar places at times. And so our commitment is to move from convenience to commitment in community. Um, thirdly, or fourthly, sorry, hospitality, as those called to reconciliation in our city, were moved from fear to generosity through the practice of being a neighbor. We so, um, we're, we're committed to the vision of Christ that we are going to not um, abandon this world or withdraw from the world or partition ourselves off from the world, but incarnationally follow the way of Jesus and enter into it. To live among, to be friends of sinners, quote unquote, to um, inhabit central Oregon as uh, those that um, love our neighbors well. And this practice of hospitality looks like not just sharing our faith, but sharing our lives. That trusting that wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we play, wherever we hang out, that Christ is in us. And we inhabit those places as those indwelt by Jesus himself. And so everything is sacred. Nothing is out of bounds. That we show up in this world learning and to love those who Christ loves. To see those around us as the lost sons and daughters of God. And so we give ourselves to this practice of hospitality, giving ourselves away, creating space in our homes, creating space in our schedules, creating space in our lives to welcome in the other, which is exactly the nature of the gospel that we've received, that we were once strangers and enemies of God, and he's been hospitable to us. He's called us into his very life and given us his very name and invited us to share in who he is. And so we practice hospitality by pursuing friendships with those who live differently and believe differently than we do. And learning to celebrate and affirm the presence of Christ in those around us. We practice hospitality by opening our home and opening our tables. We're going to get hungry about 21 times this week and eat about 21 meals. How many of those meals will you share with somebody who's different than you? This is the way of Jesus. 
There's also an expression of this that looks like reverse hospitality, that looks like receiving the invitation into the lives of those who believe differently than we do and entering into unfamiliar spaces. And it does take some courage and it does take some generosity, but it's one of those places where Christ has met me and I know he will continue to meet us. Fifthly, this practice of justice is those called to reconciliation in the world. We are moved from apathy to compassion through the practice of remembering the poor. We've made an attempt as a church to be both globally and locally focused. We understand this unique context that we find ourselves in in Bend, but we also understand that we're part of this much bigger system of humanity across the globe. And we pay attention and try to strive to learn from and to celebrate the movement of God in different communities and different cultures and different colors uh, all around the globe. But particularly, we pay attention to the promptings of Jesus and how he would call us to remember the poor, to care for the least of these, to serve those who are in need and to love those who need love the most. We cannot follow Jesus and worship safety. We cannot follow Jesus and live in apathy. As we follow him, he turns our heart not just towards himself, but towards the world that he loves. And we know throughout scripture, the witness, the testimony of God's people saying that God dwells in the margins among the oppressed, among the poor, among the forgotten, among the overlooked. And so we follow Jesus to those places as well to see how he might meet us in his grace through remembering the poor. And finally is this practice of justice, as the, or uh, of Sabbath, sorry, as those who are called to reconciliation with the rest of creation were moved from worry to rest through the practice of celebrating the good. This is one of the original practices that God gave humanity. On the seventh day, he rested and called that day holy. And from the very beginning, this has been God's design for human flourishing, that our relationship with the rest of creation would be restored and reconciled by us taking a day to simply enjoy life in the world that God has made. For many of us, this one is a really scary or sounds really impractical or unattainable. Like, yeah, I have a whole day to simply sit and rest. And it is a huge shift. But it's undeniably... to the definition, a Christian practice that we are invited into. It's not a command you have to do. It's a practice you're invited into. To create space. To let God be God. To trust in his sovereignty to keep the world running while you take a break. And some people say, well, the devil never takes a break, so we shouldn't either. And if you want to model your life after the devil, go ahead. (laughs) Jesus was constantly withdrawing, creating space to to be with his father and to wander in the world that his father had made. And so for us, it looks like finding that day, and it's unique to your season of life, 
to your family status, to whatever else. That's where you get to do the discerning work of listening to how the Spirit is inviting you. But for me, this is Fridays. It's a day that is set aside. My phone's off. My computer's off. I, and <clears throat> the best way I know how to, to kind of sum up what you do on Sabbath is you do whatever's not work for you. That's different for all of us. So for me, it's a day of working in the yard. It's a day of cooking. It's a day of reading, a day of resting. Whatever is not work. Now, if you do all that stuff every day, that sounds like a terrible day off, right? So you get to figure it out. But ultimately, it's a day of seeking the replenishment of your soul in the presence of God in the world that he's made. Communion, formation, community, hospitality, justice, Sabbath. If we left here today and I said, all right, now go do all of those, it would feel a little bit overwhelming. All things, like Wendell Berry said. And again, that is not the invitation. The invitation is, where do you sense Jesus calling you to partner with him? Which of those six relationships, God, self, church, city, world, creation, do you sense Jesus wants to bring his healing and restorative power to in this next season of your life? And some of you are going, gosh, my life is so busy. I don't have time to add anything or to create uh, a new practice. Like, I just need a season of rest and healing. There's a practice for that. <laughs> Nobody's disqualified from this. For those of you that are like, gosh, I don't even know what I believe anymore. I need time just to kind of recover, like, what is it that I believe and who is God and what is Christianity so I don't have time for it. There's a practice for that, too. A season of study. A season of reconciling that relationship with God or with self or whatever. And so we'll come to the table in a moment as this practice of communion and this practice of community, this practice of receiving life from God and communing with the Father, Son, and Spirit. For us, the Lord's table or communion isn't a metaphor. It's not like we're communing with God. We really believe that he invites us to meet him here. And we come offering nothing with empty hands, receiving everything. And so before we do that, I want to just invite you, let's take a minute of silence, a practice of silence. And the question is, Lord Jesus, how are you inviting me to participate with you? Which relationship in my life are you wanting to give attention to? To bring healing, to bring reconciliation. How do you sense the Spirit of God inviting you to participate in the life and mission of Christ?
invite you to stand with me as we close and come to a time of response and reflection. <clears throat> and instead of a typical closing prayer, I want to read this blessing and invitation. Um, this comes from a little Scottish community on an island called Iona. And this is a communion liturgy that's designed to orient us around the table in the presence of Jesus. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table.